Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. On today's episode, our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, is talking with Junie Felix. Junie is a woman of prayer, a best-selling author of You Are Worth the Work, Moving Forward from Trauma to Faith, and a member of Dr. B.J. Fogg's Stanford Behavior Design Teaching Team. She's a neurotheologian who helps others to understand the God who inspired the Bible also designed the brain. Junie is also the mentoring and engagement coordinator for the Center for Women in Leadership at Northern Seminary. She is an author, speaker, radio, and podcast host, and in her spare time, she's a distance runner, video gamer, and sci-fi movie buff. Her motto is, kindness is a superpower. Hi, Junie. Thanks so much for joining us on the Alabaster Jar. I am overjoyed to be talking with you. This is so exciting. Oh, for me too, because I just got to know you a couple of weeks ago um, when you started here at Northern, the coordinator for mentoring and engagement and the Center for Women in Leadership. Yes, it's such an exciting and curious assignment from the Lord. I'm just loving every minute of it. Uh, well, I'm so blessed to have you as a colleague now, and uh, I love the book that you uh, came out with recently called You Are Worth the Work. That is an awesome title, Moving Forward from Trauma to Faith. Um, I highly recommend this book from NAV Press. It's just fantastic. And, you know, often I'll walk through the book with the with the author, but I think you and I have talked about maybe coming at this from a slightly different angle by diving into the biblical text and thinking about moving from trauma to faith, how one um, does that by, by also looking at, at biblical, um, biblical stories, including the uh, man who was um, healed uh, in the pool of Bethsaida, that's in uh John chapter five. And then we uh, also will take a look at Mary Magdalene um, and the note about her, uh, her trauma uh, being uh, healed of seven demons. That's in Luke chapter eight. So we're going to dig into the biblical text, but we're going to do it through your work on moving from trauma to, uh, to faith. Can you tell us just a little bit about your, your understanding of this um, and then we'll dive right into uh, to the Gospels. I'll be glad to. And I think that this is a topic that's going to continue to be timely, Lynn, because where we are, you know, as a global society and culture, I'm actually going to be going to a funeral tomorrow um, because just so many people are dealing with grief and loss directly related to the pandemic. And whether that's the loss of a loved one or uh, the loss of a job. I mean, I lost a job that I really loved in 2020 and, you know, shed a few tears over that. So, so many people are dealing with grief and loss. And I also, what I focus on a lot with this work is the matter complex trauma. And that's the term that's used to describe those of us who have layers and layers of trauma in our story. And trauma is a wound of the soul that hurts every part of your life. So it's a holistic wound that affects every part of your life. And so as I do this work, helping people to design their own customized recovery strategy and make their healing the priority, not a priority, but the priority in the season of the journey, I found that a lot of people gain some relief 
especially as people of faith, when we look in the scriptures and, you know, we know God loves us. We know he understands. I mean, what's more traumatic than your son on a cross? We know these things, but sometimes it's hard to build out practical ways to apply what we're seeing in the scriptures to our healing journey. And so that's why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yes. And I, I, uh, I think maybe some readers will be like me that they might need a little refresher on uh, that story of the pool of Bethsaida, um, where there were a number of people who used to lie there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And the idea was that uh, if they, that there might be some healing properties there, the man that, that we'll focus on today, he, he had been an invalid for 38 years. Yeah. And so Jesus sees him there. Yeah. And said, do you want to get well? <laughs> and the man replied, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me and so gets that healing. And, um, and then Jesus responds, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. And the problem was for some people that this happened on the Sabbath and he wasn't allowed to carry his mat because that was classified as work. Um, and so the story kind of unfolds um, unfolds from there. But uh, tell me a little bit about what catches your attention, especially as you think of trauma and faith. Oh, so many things, Lynn, and even more. Now that you wrench, you, you're so great at this, Lynn. You mentioned these little cultural diamonds that that we might otherwise miss. And what you said there about, you know, it's the Sabbath and what's he doing picking up his mat? You know, when it comes to trauma recovery and complex trauma, like I described earlier, those layers of trauma that affect every part of your life. I mean, this guy has been dealing with the echoes of that trauma well into his late thirties. And then he also has the, the cultural pressure of, okay, something's happening today at this pool. But do I take advantage of this opportunity or do I, you know, let my culture even influence me to stay in this spot? And I also love the way that you point out that this is a place where this is a place of hope. And I never had that thought until today that this pool is a place of hope. And there are people there every single day hoping to be made well. So. His example is really a great example of the ways that trauma, regardless of the source of the trauma, can cause us to become blind to the answers to our prayers, even prayers that we've been praying. I think the longer you pray a prayer, I mean, I have the fruit of the spirit here, right? I see every day, um, you know, love, joy, peace, long suffering. I know that we commonly memorize it as patience, but the words there are long suffering. The longer we pray a prayer, the longer it takes us sometimes to recognize that our prayer is indeed being answered. And think about the perfect timing of Jesus. He shows up there on that day. And so here's a man who could have decided, as so many trauma survivors were tempted to do, to have a victim identity. So here's a man who might have been dealing with that. I mean, this has been a long journey for him. And there is Jesus, the answer to his prayers, right there with him. And his first response is so revealing. Jesus says, would you like to get well? And he says, I can't, sir. 
you know, respectful. He knows there's somebody important here. I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. You know, so his first response is what he can't do. And it also blinds him to the fact that there's someone there now. And he doesn't know what we know. You know, we know it's not just someone. Oh, that's right. I mean, you're right. He doesn't even know after the healing is done who this Jesus is. Yeah. And I, I, you know, this idea of having a victim identity uh, in your book, you talk about how it can be a protective persona. Yes. And I appreciate what you just said there that Jesus, the the man is respectful Mm. to Jesus, knows not his name, but at least that he's someone important, but is just sharing, this this is who I am. And Jesus, of course, doesn't accept that this is who you are. But I loved how you said, you know, this victim mentality is not, you you didn't put in your tone of voice that the man was whining. No. Mm -mm. It's more that this is a protective persona. Yeah. Yeah. This is who he believes he has become. You know, and so often we can fall into that uh, trap thinking that my sadness is the, the 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 sadness is the most important thing about me because it's the thing that's the loudest it's the thing that's the biggest so he's there with Jesus and he says i have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up so just saying i can't sir and one of the things that i love teaching is the science of human behavior through behavior design and this is uh, discoveries, a formula that was discovered by my mentor at Stanford University for human behavior. And a big part of our behavior succeeding toward what we want to accomplish is what we judge our abilities to be. So not only has he let Jesus know this is the identity that I, I have adopted, but it's also I can't. You know, when you start a sentence with I can't, you know, that's a really rough place to start. So we have Jesus there with him, and Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And just as I read it, we read it like it's all one sentence, but the science of human behavior proves that it's the tiny baby steps that matter the most. God is a systems guy, and those tiny little baby steps matter so much. So one of the things that I teach is to start thinking tiny, scale all your thoughts down to tiny. Look what Jesus said, stand up. Now, this man is remarkable. And, you know, one day when I meet him in glory, I'm going to tell him that you are a remarkable man of faith. And maybe millions of people by now, billions have told him that. But I'm going to be one of the people in glory that says, you know what? You are a remarkable man of faith because Jesus said two words to you and you chose to believe. Even if he had just chose to stand up, well done. Wow. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That tiny little choice made so much of a difference. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, when in your uh, in your work, you talk about being trapped by sorrow. Mm. You know, I can't being trapped by sorrow. But you say that sorrow is a gift. Yeah. Was it the gift there that that? Uh, in his sorrow, he took that step, that baby step. Is that kind of the opportunity then that the gift is the opportunity it to sure act in faith? Is. Yes, the opportunity, the invitation of God to act in faith, the opportunity to say yes and to take action based on your ability. God is such a perfect parent that, you know, for those of us who have kids in our lives, 
we celebrate them when they take action based on their ability. You know, I'm not going to ask my my kiddo who doesn't have a driver's license to go run to the store and get something for me, you know, because that's not something he's able to do. But I can ask him to bring me a glass of water or something that he's able to do based on his ability. Most of all, his ability to choose to believe. I mean, he could have just been like, what are you, crazy? I've been laying here for 38 years. <laughs> I'm not, I can't stand up. But he went quickly from I can't, sir, to standing up. And then we know immediately he was healed. You know, so I just think about all the ways that our sadness, our grief, and our trauma can blind us to the fact that our prayers are finally being answered, no matter how tiny the answer is, because with God, everything's the baby steps. God is like the coder of the multiverse. I'm also a technologist, and I, I, I often say that trauma is bad code, because it, with every traumatic experience and feeling that is the result, the um, cause and effect would be the traumatic event, but then the feeling would be the effect. You know, that's like a bad line of code one keystroke, you know, and God celebrates it when we take any tiny step of faith. And I think, you know, even if he didn't pick up his mat and start walking, I believe that God was just cheering through and through. The multiverse was cheering for this man for deciding to believe. And it also planted a seed in him about his identity, Lynn, because he decided to become a man of faith in that moment. Yeah, that, uh, and, and as I'm thinking about this, Imagine for me using the knowledge that you have about trauma being bad code and thinking about how our brain can sort of be recoded maybe. Yes. Um, that next year as the man is at home now and his, he's not staying at the pool anymore. He can, you know, run to the store and, yeah. and help out. I mean, he, he actually can now help. He's a functioning member of the community rather than someone who is placed by the pool each day by somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, what, what does that, what does that look like? What would he have to do? What would the tiny steps be? You know, it's just, we can imagine this, the Bible doesn't tell us, but what, what would you imagine his tiny steps might include? <laughs> well, in our American, North American, Western, go big or go home, you know, capitalist mindset culture, we would say, oh my gosh, he's healed. He's He's got a to-do list that's a mile long. Right. You know, he's going to go home, he's going to get a job, and he's going to do this. But I hope that he did something tiny, one tiny thing after the next. You know, he comes home and he says, I'm home, wherever that may be. And he just celebrates that moment and he's fully present in that moment and he's just rejoicing in it and sitting with it. I think of how so often when we have some sort of breakthrough, any breakthrough of any kind, you know, we rush past it. We don't just settle in it and just have like a Sabbath moment in it. You mentioned that it was on the Sabbath, you know? Uh, he could celebrate if we take time to celebrate him in this moment, you know, celebrate the fact that he decided to rise up and walk in a new identity. I'm not an invalid. I'm not a paralytic. I am a man of faith. What if he just held on to that one item? I had faith enough to believe and look what God did. You know, that could be something he could celebrate for the next, I don't know, six months. You know, I'm a man of faith, but what does that look like now? Oh, I'm going to start, you know, praising God every day, or I'm going to, you know, just find out what I like. I mean, after 38 years, 
He's got a lot of learning to do. It's time for him to do me 101 and get to know the human being that God created him to be. And that happens in baby steps. And if we're really intentional, it can lead to some really great places. But we have to remember to slow down and reflect. Yes. You give some examples, and I'm thinking about this. You give some examples in your book, like you put your feet on the floor. And I don't know if he was in a bed that was raised off the floor or if it was his mat. But let's say he stands up from uh, sleeping first thing in the day, and he says, good morning, Father. Yes. Right? Amen. And a smile on his face. You talk about that, that that's a baby step that, mm -hmm. that begins to rewire that bad code. Yeah, it mm -hmm. does. Because it plants a, a tiny seed of hope. Just waking up and saying, good morning, Father. It plants a tiny seed of hope that launches into the new day so much better than if we wake up and we say, oh, I'm still in pain. Oh, I hate my life. Oh, when's this going to end? But just wake up and say, good morning, Father, reinforces your identity as a man or a woman of faith. And in behavior design, the science of behavior design, we define behavior as a type of person doing a specific activity or behavior in a particular context. And so anytime we reinforce our true identity as a man or a woman of faith, faith, by taking a tiny action in that direction, we succeed. And it's worthy of celebration every tiny time. Yes, yes. Well, let's, you talk about identity. And if there is a character in the New Testament that I think has suffered from an identity crisis, maybe during her life, but certainly in the history of interpretation, it would be Mary Magdalene. Yes. And we wanted to talk about Mary Magdalene. And that is in Luke chapter 8, the very beginning of that chapter, I'll read the few verses here. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. There was also healed uh, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them, that is Jesus's, Jesus and his ministry, out of their own means. So we have Mary Magdalene from who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, and specifically seven demons had been exercised or cast out from her. Wow. Yes. <laughs> trauma. I, I would say trauma. I, you know, and that's all the scripture says, um, but maybe that's enough for us to kind of enter into her story. Yeah, I think so. And I think that the Lord purposely left out the details of, of the, the lives of our heroes of faith because he wanted us to see all of our stories somewhere in there. And there she is, someone who is like me, a complex trauma survivor. I mean, my trauma goes back to infancy. I have second degree burns on my body from when I was six months old and just born into chaos and trauma and drama. You know, like Mary Magdalene, layers and layers and levels of trauma and years and years of it. And then she meets Jesus and he invites her into a whole new adventure as a woman of faith a healed woman of faith, just as the man we just talked about, a healed man of faith. And so here they are with the exact same opportunity, the exact same invitation. And I believe that Mary, she probably just said after she, she probably had to rest for a little while. I hope she did just to, wow, what is this? You know, I don't know if you've known anybody who's ever recovered from a serious illness or a long-term illness. I have friends right now that are long haulers. 
um, two friends that nearly died. They were told to make final arrangements because of COVID, but they made it. And so when they came home, thinking that they wouldn't come home, that's, you know, that's a trauma there. They needed time to rest and recover and receive the miracle. And both of my dear friends that had this experience, they thankfully were wise enough to take the time to do that. You know, sometimes you want to get home and rush back in. COVID doesn't really allow you to do that. I, I had it too. And the recovery for me um, is, you know, I still have the fatigue and it's been almost a year. But with Mary Magdalene, hopefully after she took it in and kind of rested in the fact that she was healed and she was with her Lord and Savior, maybe the next thing she said is, Lord, how can I serve you? I mean, look, we're, we're, we're talking here in a conversation that's entitled the alabaster jar. You know, she came and she did what she could with what she had. And that's all Jesus ever asked of you or me. How can I serve you, Lord? based on my ability. And he's so proud of us when we take action. And I have a feeling that Mary and I had a lot in common. She sounds like a mover and a shaker. When I take on a task, I'm all in. I'm fully present. I'm there. (laughs) You know, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I, the, um, one of the things you talk about in your book and certainly comes out to me in this scripture is that, uh, this idea of evil spirits and demons. Yes. The reality of evil. Yes. So we talked a little bit about sorrow. Okay. But then there's also evil. There's also iniquity. There's just flat out badness and life being unfair. Yeah. Life being unfair. And I, you know, I, maybe Mary had some sisters or a brother who didn't suffer uh, as, as she did. Or, I mean, she could just look at anyone who's healthy and think, this isn't fair. Yeah. How, how do you get out of that repeated mindset? That How do you deal with that, with the reality of evil? I think a good start is to acknowledge and honor your journey. One of the things that I talk about that's most important in the healing journey is accepting that you're on a lifelong healing journey. You know, of course, there's always the opportunity for a miracle. God could, you could wake up, maybe you woke up this morning with a broken heart. You might wake up tomorrow without the broken heart. You know, there's always the the option, the possibility of that miracle. All things are possible for those who believe. But when it comes to asking questions like that, and feeling this is so unfair. Don't judge yourself for asking that question. Honor your journey by honoring that feeling. One of the other things about the science of human behavior is that the formula for human behavior is there's motivation to do the behavior. That's the M. There's the ability to do the behavior. And then there's a prompt. And think of the prompt as like a notification on your smartphone. That's why we're use, that's why we use that language. That, that came straight out of Stanford. You know, it, we used to call it triggers as behavior design teachers. We used to call it triggers, but then we changed it to prompts. And now we're all familiar with prompts. So you've got this pain associated with that thought. This was so unfair, Lord. Reconciling the reality of evil with an all powerful, all knowing, completely loving God is exhausting. So when you have a prompt, the prompt of your sorrow causes you to ask, God, why me? This is so unfair. 
Don't race away from that thought. Don't judge yourself for having it. What you've been through is hard, and the pain that you feel is a right and human response to the injustice that you've survived and suffered. Honor your journey by letting yourself have that conversation with God. Don't rush away from it. And if you are wise, as the scripture says so many times, Proverbs 11, Proverbs 12, the wise seek counsel. I highly recommend Jesus plus therapist, Jesus plus therapy, because, you know, in my journey as a complex trauma survivor, I always have a post-traumatic stress disorder trauma therapist in my life because I can talk with my therapist about these, these questions. When you're wrestling with them, and that's the thing, wrestling, you know, the name Israel, it means struggles with God. When you're struggling with God, the goodness of God and the reality of evil, don't struggle alone and don't don't bully yourself by pretending you're not feeling what you're feeling. Your body is letting you know it's a loving prompt to take action toward a place in your soul that's crying out for healing attention and love. Oh, amen to that. Yes. And it's also not about willpower. And you make that really... Uh, really clear. Actually, in the uh, title uh, of one of the chapters, Faith and Vodka, yeah. I confess, I did need to, uh, you know, I stopped short and I thought, oh, hmm, let me see what's going on in this one. Yeah, Faith and Vodka. Um, you talked a little bit about the uh, weakness of willpower. Talk a little bit about about that. Yes. I love that you're mentioning this. And that was the chapter. I didn't think they were going to let me keep that title, but the title was inspired by a real journey, someone that I was blessed to mentor and, and journey alongside in her healing journey. And we don't want to forget about Mary Magdalene in this because, you know, there are some lies. There are some lies that our trauma teaches us. And that's what causes the identity distortion that, that causes us to dishonor our journey and trivialize the questions that we're asking, like we were just talking about. So with this example that I provide in the book of the woman who was very accomplished in every area of life. And from the outside looking in, you would say, hey, she's got it all together. She's leading in her church. She's leading at her university where she teaches and in the labs where she, I mean, she's a scientist and she's just really successful in life. But then at night, she just says, all I need is a little Jesus and a little vodka. And so she takes, you know, she has her quiet time before bed and she has, she takes some pills and some vodka and scares the living daylights out of everybody who loves her. Who knows this? And she's a strong believer, but she's just kind of stuck because of the lies that trauma tells all day long. And the lies, they don't stop at night. And they just kind of cycle in a loop. If we're talking programming and coding, I'm also a coder, a programmer. But when your mind is stuck in a loop, we do things to soothe the pain. We do things to sleep. We do things to rest, things that we're not proud of. And for some, that might be vodka or fill in the blank. But when it comes to willpower, if there's anyone who's strong-willed and determined, if there's any person who's an example of that, that's me. But still, my trauma and the lies that my trauma was telling me would cause me to rush to other ways to soothe. For me, it was bubble gum and cookie dough ice cream. I had a serious sugar addiction. Oh, I don't even, I think that's just nutrition. Uh, I, I'm not no, going to no, put no. that in the... <laughs> <laughs> it was a serious sugar addiction, so much so that my mentor, Dr. B.J. Fogg, wrote a New York Times bestselling book, Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything. And if you turn to chapter seven in Dr. Fogg's book, 
The, the whole, a whole chapter, the whole chapter <laughs> is about my sugar addiction and the master plan that I created using behavior design to, to, to move away from that. But when it comes to, you know, I, I highly recommend that's a resource that's available on my website as well. Uh, chapter seven, uh, stop in and say hello. That's my chapter. But, um, faith and vodka is about the things that we do to soothe the pain because we don't know what else to do. And we think that willpower is enough. But the truth is with willpower, I'd love for you to pretend for the rest of your life that willpower doesn't exist because the way we understand the purpose of willpower is not helpful. I mean, everybody knows January 1st, uh, how many weeks do they say before your resolutions are gone? You know, because willpower was never designed to sustain us. Guess why? Because that's God's job. Willpower is just a prompt, a reminder of what matters the most. And so what do we do with the prompt? We take a loving, tiny, helpful action in response. So when that willpower surges up, you think of it as a prompt, and then you take a loving, tiny step toward your aspiration or objective. And I'll tell you what, um, my friend who I was journeying alongside with the faith and vodka story, within just a few weeks, she went from that dangerous, I mean, life-threatening, mm -hmm. soothing routine to freedom. And I remember in our beginning conversations where she would call or she would text and she would say, it's a weekend, so she's not going into work. But she'd say, I made it from my bed to the couch this morning. And we would celebrate, go girl, you are beating this thing. And the good thing about celebrations is that God designed it so that these celebrations, they give us a little dopamine spark. They change your brain chemistry and your brain says, oh, that felt good. I'm going to do it again. And so every time we celebrated her making it from the bed to the couch on her day off, she gained confidence that she could succeed because success leads to success and change leads to change. And guess what? God is so good that change is a skill. And when you know, yeah. when you know it's a skill, you know, you can take steps to get better. Yes. You make it clear. We are not uh, determined or our life and our life happiness is not dependent on circumstances. Yeah. It's the choices. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. The, um, so thinking about Mary Magdalene again, yes. also, um, you talk about how life is also not the sum of accomplishments. She's certainly an accomplished woman. She followed Jesus. Uh, she had had resources. I, we've talked about it before in Alabaster Jar. She's not uh, the prostitute that's mentioned in Luke 7. So we don't want to imagine that her demon possession was in any way related to sexual promiscuity. Mm -hmm. So she had wealth perhaps from her family business, um, and it had a list of accomplishments. But you talk about how it takes courage to slow down, oh, yeah. which sounds like an oxymoron in a way. So fill that out. What is this courage of slowing down? And that is a direct quote from one of my dear friends. I don't know if you've heard of Miss um, Susie Larson. Uh, she's the author of many books on discipleship and the journey for women in faith. And she also has a radio program. And I actually met her on my radio program. She was a guest on the morning show. I, I used to host full-time morning gigs uh, for a long time. I did that. But I was interviewing Susie for the first time. And those words came out of her mouth. And my co-host saw the look on my face. And he just had to take over the interview. 
because I was in shock because there I was super mega overachiever, stressed out, super busy and not dealing with my trauma. And she said those words, it takes courage to slow down. And that's how that wound up in this work. And if it wasn't for Susie, this book probably wouldn't exist and she knows it. But yes, God gives us courage he offers us courage. Let me rephrase that. He offers us courage. And everyday life takes a certain level of courage. And that courage that he offers us to slow down is available for us anytime we're willing to receive it. I mean, the Sabbath, we think of Sabbath as a day, you know, or even a time out from work. We have certain ideas about Sabbath, but I believe that God intended Sabbath to be a lifestyle. There's a podcast, a super, super popular podcast. It's called Every Day is Saturday. And God taught me how to live life every day is Sabbath day, moving in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. God didn't design us to be these compartmentalized, go, go, go fast, keep moving. He wanted us to weave Sabbath living into our whole mindset so that we have a rhythm to life. It's time right now to focus on my work, my task, um, whether it's as a mother or an employee or fill in the blank or a, a papa or a CEO, whatever it is. That's your task to focus on right now. But guess what? Let's make time for our healing. Let's make our healing the priority and just transition into healing moments in the day. And the tinier, the better. So I, my Sabbath living includes what I call a tiny two-minute meditation. One of the models that we teach is tiny habits as behavior designers. And so in between every task, I have a one or two-minute tiny meditation. For example, I send an email and then I just close my eyes, turn my palms up because that is body language that's been proven to invite, um, you know, just a feeling of calm into your, your system turn my palms up, close my eyes, maybe nod my head toward the heavens. These are tiny celebrations that invite rest into your day. And even if you only do it for 30 seconds, you're weaving Sabbath moments into your life. And that takes courage, tiny micro courage. Remember a keystroke of code? Now millions and millions of keystrokes accumulate into the code that is your life and your legacy. And so if you think of it that way, just one minute or two minute tiny meditation, whatever it takes for you to weave these Sabbath moments into your journey will create kind of a living rest that God intends for us as kingdom dwellers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go. Uh, one more thing, because I know we're, we're getting uh, we're running a little bit out of time here, but I, I did want to ask um, how you how you might imagine Mary Magdalene receiving this identity as one who is healed. Um, what would her, what would the next couple of months or years have looked like? Um, because you, you mentioned that sometimes as trauma survivors, it's, we're not really able to receive that identity that is ours in Christ. What might be some of the things um, we might imagine Mary did to, to receive her identity in Christ. Yes. And as human beings in God's system, it's all about the baby steps. So we don't want to think about what Mary did in the next day or week or month. Mm. We want to okay. think about what Mary did in the next moment. What does that look like? Does that mean she just maintained eye contact with her Savior who healed her mm -hmm. for the next few seconds? Does that mean that she just decided to be quieter 
listen more, be a little bit more still in the next few moments, accumulating into the next few hours and the next few days. We have to think tiny because I really do believe with all my heart, if we look at Romans chapter one, God is a systems guy. You know, the manifestations of his thoughts have created the multiverse that we live in. Those tiny little micro manifestations are our whole reality. And so if we can get into the mindset of thinking tiny, then it it equips us to do what we're able to do based on our ability. I mean, she was just healed. She's got a recovery process that's going to begin. If she rushes in like I've done, like so many of us do, she's going to miss so many things that God wants her to not miss in her journey. So I would hope her next tiny move based on her ability would be to just lean into that moment. Wow, this is great. This feels wonderful. I'm healed. Wow. Let me be quieter. Let me be still. Let me follow him. He's taking a next step. He's, he's turning to talk to someone else. I'm going to be right behind him listening and learning because I'm going to hear what I can do to serve him next best. And no matter how tiny, it's worthy of celebration. Every tiny choice she made after that moment in receiving her new identity, she could have rejected it. She could have thought, oh, you know, you know, imposter syndrome. We just did a webinar about this in the Center for Women in Leadership. She could have let the imposter syndrome roll in and paralyze her. Oh my gosh, everybody knows who I used to be. Who am I now? You know, she could have let that paralyze her, but she didn't based on what we know. Hopefully she didn't. Hopefully because she was right there in the presence of Almighty God, she leaned in closer and took the next tiny step. One keystroke leads to the next. And then suddenly you're designing an hour and then an afternoon and then an evening and then a day and then a week and then a lifetime and then a legacy. But it all happens one tiny choice after the next. Oh, that is such, that's such a good word, Junie. Thank you so much for talking with us on the Alabaster Jar and for your excellent work uh, in the book, You Are Worth the Work. Uh, wow, there's just, I mean, we could just keep going and going. I, I could just keep going and going, uh, talking with you. And, and so we'll have you back oh, right? because you're, all, you're here. You're part of the, you're part of the family, right? You're part of the, the Alabaster Jar family that's part of the Center for Women in Leadership here at Northern Seminary. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your wisdom in this book and for the opportunity uh, that you give each of us through your learning to develop these skills. Just so, so fantastic. I feel very blessed. Oh, and, you're and so encouraged. welcome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Remember, throw that willpower out. It's just a prompt. It's gone. It's <laughs> gone. And, and, uh, but I am going to have some ice cream probably for, uh, dessert tonight. Is that okay? Oh, can I, can I still have the ice cream? Oh yeah. Well, I can't <laughs> have ice cream. That's like, oh. you know, telling an alcoholic not to go to the bar. It was bad. It was bad. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, no, no, I do feel bad. It was, you know, I didn't, you know, you come to a place where you can laugh about it, but at the time it was just like something I had to have, you know, yeah. but it's so great yeah. to be free. No. You can have all the ice cream you want though. I do a lot of frozen yogurt these days though. Oh, well, I actually love that better. So, okay, we'll do that together. Yes, That's good. Yay. That's good. All right. Thanks again so much, Junie, for joining us on the Alabaster Jar. My pleasure and an honor. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Alabaster Jar. You can learn more about Junie's work and purchase a copy of her new book, You Are Worth the Work, at her website, juniefelix.com. 
She has also made her ebook, The Gift of Sorrow, available for free to Alabaster Jar listeners. You can find a link in today's episode description and be sure to subscribe so that you can join us back here next Tuesday for another episode of The Alabaster Jar.